and welcome to the Cocktail Hour with me, your host, Erin Polk. Cocktail Hour is a place where we celebrate the women in business who are shaking shit up. This week, we are talking to Meredith Suarez. Hello. Hello. And I got your last name right. You did. It's so sexy. Thanks. Is that what you, this is your married last name, right? I was going to say, I, I inherited it by marriage. What was your old last name? Drop. Oh yeah, this is way sexier. Just like it sounds. Just. D-R-O-P. <laughs> Meredith Drop to Meredith Suarez. Did you, did you start saying it different when you got this last name? Or is that just me? No, I think I've always said it that way. Or <laughs> we can be like sexy Spanish and say Suarez. Suarez. I, I can't do the R thing. You're way better at it. Are you bilingual? No. Oh. I know just enough Spanish to be dangerous and have a conversation with my in-laws and extended family that's only in present tense verbs. <laughs> if I have to do anything beyond that, I, I can't do it. <laughs> so do, do you think that they're having conversations sometimes on the side? Maybe. <laughs> That's what I feel like about my nail ladies. Let's tell people who you are. <laughs> I'm positive my nail ladies are. Like, I like to think we're good friends, and I think I'm very annoying to them. <laughs> so I'm going to have to ask how you know or not later. It's, it's good to know what, or not know what you don't know, right? Right. That's sometimes how I feel. Okay, so Meredith Suarez is a dedicated nonprofit leader with over 10 years of experience in the sector. For the past six years, Meredith has been part of the growing team at Junior Achievement of Greater Kansas City, joining the organization in 2013 as a development officer and promoted to her current role as Director of Development and Marketing in 2016. Congratulations. Thank you. She currently serves as one of the senior leadership team at Junior Achievement and has raised over $5 million in revenue during her tenure to advance the future of KC Kids. With her roots in the performing arts, Meredith holds a Bachelor of Music and Flute Performance from Northern Illinois University. Oh, that's fascinating. We're going to get back to that. <laughs> a Master of Arts Management, nonprofit, manage, nonprofit Management for Columbia College, Chicago, and is a 2017 graduate of the Central Exchange Emerging Leaders Program. In addition to her professional experience, Meredith enjoys reading, nerding out on NPR, and attending family-friendly events with her husband, Alberto, oh, that's nice too, and dynamic seven-year-old son. I don't always start just hitting on your husband right when you come on the podcast. I'm sorry. Yeah, I don't know what's going on with me. Seven-year-old son. Yes. So one kiddo. One kid. One kid. And Keeps us on our toes for sure. Do you still play the flute? I do. I'm kind of, I've gone in and out of being semi-retired and then coming back. Yeah. I had a one-year stint in the Kansas City Flute Choir. Oh, wow. So I, I do, I really love playing. How did you get into that? I, you know what? It's a funny story. I, um, in my general music class in elementary school, I had a general music teacher who became my piano teacher later when I had music lessons. Okay. And she introduced us to all different kinds of music, and she played Peter and the Wolf for us one time in class. And I just fell in love with the, the flute. flute. And the flute was, is rep the bird represents, is represented by the flute in the piece of music and I just fell in love with it and I came home and I told my parents that I wanted to play the flute and my mom has always famously said I had a piano sitting in the living room and my child wanted to play the flute so that's how I got started I played the flute I think in just it's like the fifth grade is that when you have your first you can play your first music instrument in school kind of yeah I was so bad like they might have said don't come back like I real don't bad. think they did. <laughs> I'm just not musical. So then the flute was a hard one to pick up if you're not musical, right? Because you're musical, I think, so you I don't think know. they're all kind of hard, you know, when you first get started. Right. But I took lessons from first grade to fifth grade before I was in band. But you have a Bachelor of Music in flute performance. So mm -hmm. what was your plan? 
What was big my plan? My plan was to be a chamber musician and okay. to teach flute at the college level. So what happened? Why aren't you doing that? So I, f- I found other passions in life. Okay, we're going to get back to that. Let's start where you, where'd you grow up? I grew up in the Chicago suburbs. Okay. I'm from Arlington Heights, Illinois, which is about 20 miles northwest of city Chicago limits. And what was growing up like? Like what, what did childhood look like? It was good. I mean, like I grew up in a, in a, you know, I think a kind of a traditional suburban community there was it's a big I mean Chicago is a really big metro area so the benefit of that was that there was a lot of opportunities for kids to explore different activities I mean I gravitated towards the arts but you know there were there were other kids that liked sports or scouting or a wide variety of different things that kids have available to them do you have brothers or sisters I don't I'm an only child oh you are and then you had an only child Mm mm-hmm Oh, wow. Okay, we're going to get into that. So mom and dad still married? Yes. Through growing up? Is it 47 years? Oh, wow. This past July? Wow. 48 years? That's a long time. Yeah, 48 years. How long have you been married? Uh, It'll be 10 years in March. Oh, wow. So you're right on path, right? (laughs) Okay, so 48 years, you're the only kid. So pretty much when you wanted to try something, they let you try it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, my mom is very creative, and so is my dad. My dad has a... um, a graphic design oh. degree and so he's a he's the visual artist of the family okay um what and mom i do mom was a pediatric speech pathologist oh okay and developmental therapist okay. and they always encouraged me to do things you know like my parents didn't have music lessons or things like that or i did dancing too okay you know they always encouraged me to explore and at least give something a try you know not do something once and quit but right invest in it give it a chance and see if you like it and I just liked all the artsy stuff did they also encourage that like with with physical sports like with sports soccer and that type of thing did, or I was wasn't it more really good at those things okay. like growing up yeah. that dancing was my sport that was your sport and that's a big commitment dance too I did volleyball like in high school just intramural volleyball yeah but I just wasn't really good at sports I've always been too short for volleyball always like it's always <laughs> And they make it look so easy. It's so hard. They do. It is so hard, but it was fun. And at least I could be kind of like B minus C plus performance in volleyball. Yeah. As opposed to things like soccer that I was really bad at. Right. <laughs> Just a lot of running, right? Yeah. Okay. So how do you end up, you go to Northern Illinois, so that's not too far from home. And then right. Columbia College in Chicago. How do you end up here in Kansas City? My husband's job. Okay. So he's in the Kansas City Symphony. And we've known each other our whole adult lives. And How'd you meet? We met at Northern Illinois University. Okay, in the music department. Indeed. Does he play the flute? He plays the French horn. I don't even know what that is. I'm going to look it up, though. <laughs> it's one of those big gold ones, right? Google it. I'm going to Google it. Google it. The French horn. That sounds fancy, too. Yeah. How does he play? This is all about you, but how does one start on the French horn? Like, the flute is at least all over grade school, right? So... He tells a story of how he was given a very limited number of choices of what instrument he could play in middle school. And he was given the trombone or French horn, and his brother played the trombone, so he decided he'd play the French horn. So he's been playing since middle school. Uh huh. You know, my son is in seventh grade, and he is a percussion player. I call it the drums. He's like, Mom, it's not the drums, it's the percussion. Right. And what I found really interesting this year is. So just went to middle school in our seventh grade's middle school in our uh, 
Shanghai Mission. So one of the first conversations band teacher had with the kids was, hey, if you guys play these instruments, these like one-off instruments like the oboe and some other things, you're probably going to get a better chance of getting a college scholarship. Mm-hmm. And having those conversations in the seventh grade, were those conversations when you were going through music programs? Not really. I mean, I was doing it because I just really loved it. Right. You know, it was just kind of always a, I always felt like it was something that chose me rather than me choosing it. Right. And so I just so did it because. you into the oboe? <laughs> I was like, you're not playing the oboe. I just paid for the percussion. Well, when you go, like when you grow up in an area where, you know, there's probably 15 or 20 kids that played the flute in band and just as many playing clarinet, we didn't have to, you know, we got a lot of choices as to what instrument we wanted to play. That's fun. Okay. So you meet your husband in college. Uh Did you know right away he was the one? Did you guys start dating right away? No, he transferred in. So I met him. I met him like our third, well, he's a year older than me. So okay. he was coming in as like a third year student. Okay. Um, and I think I was a third year student, but he was a grade ahead. Okay. Um, so that's where we met. And then he moved into the apartment next door to me. We lived oh. in like a duplex apartment and I lived in the back apartment and he lived in the front. Oh, that's fine. And that was when we started dating. That's real close to home to start dating though. You never it kind of was. Well, we were friends for like a year first, okay. and then we both ended up renting apartments with different friends, okay. but living right next door to each other. And that's you've dated him ever since then. Since college, not ever since then. Okay, <laughs> so we dated. We dated for a couple of years in college, and then kind of went our separate ways. Oh, and okay. He went to grad school, and I went to grad school, and we were kind of searching for you know what our next steps were, and then. Nine years later, we reconnected and... Wait, so you dated in college and then you took nine years off. Uh-huh. And then how'd you reconnect? Please say Facebook. For the Facebook? It actually wasn't. Oh, It okay. wasn't social media. That's usually Isn't the story so anymore, right? I People know. like Facebook. Okay, what, what was it? Yeah, so I just, I kept running into people that, that knew him or like, you know, people from our past. I just kept... We just kept crossing paths and I thought like, oh, I haven't talked to him for a while. Maybe I should give him a call. And so when I finally tracked down his phone number, I gave him a call and he said, oh, I'm going to be in Chicago in a couple weeks because I was still living there. Was he here at that point? No, he was um, he was living in Miami then. Oh, oh that's fine. And um, he was like, do you want to get together? I'm going to be in town in a couple weeks. I was like, yeah, sure. So you picked up the phone and called him first. I did. Did you think... What were you, what, tell me what your thought process was when you were picking up the phone. <laughs> like, did you think it would turn into this? Were no. you just hoping to see No, him? not at all. I mean, like we had always been good friends, yeah. um, during the time before we started dating and after, and, um, I just thought like, yeah, we'll reconnect. I had no expectations at all. And then when he said, oh, I'm going to be in Chicago, let's get together. I thought, great. We'll go and have some Chicago style pizza and right. it'll be fun. And then that just started our relationship back up again. Did you know that he wasn't with anyone? I can't remember if he told me that on the phone. Okay. So you knew when you were getting together, it might be a date. It's kind of, we're getting together, but it's kind of a date. I didn't, I didn't really have any expectations. I know that sounds so weird, but I, I didn't. Was he, okay, this is, I find this really interesting. Sorry. Was he (laughs) what? Because you break up with people and you go nine years and you remember what you want to remember, right? Yeah. Was he what you remembered or had, were there things like, they were like, when you saw him, was it just like 
you saw him yesterday or were there things that you were like oh yeah oh yeah had you built up a different like re- memory of him what was it like tell me all please. so so one of the things I remember most about seeing him for the, that first time in a long time was he was in the midst of a beard growing contest with okay. some friends okay and so this was February in Chicago and he'd been growing the beard for several months and so that uh, was very memorable. Okay. <laughs> but what is that something you would have done in college? Like, is that something you're like, oh, of course he is. He had a beard, like, off and on in college, um, but never one that looked like that. That just was for right. a contest, and he hadn't shaved for three or four months right. at that point. Because so I was I really glad thing. to see that go a month later right. when he decided that we, we, would sh- we should date again. <laughs> and then you're like, but not with that beard. Yeah. Because <laughs> I do this thing where I always think that... Um, well, with ex-boyfriends in particular, I think really with friendships, like I was really bad. I do on again, off again relationships a lot. I was bad at just remembering the good things and then like blowing it up to something that then I would get back with them and be like, oh, I forgot all of this stuff. Right. But then mm-hmm. I've done it like recently with a friend. We had a bad falling out, really good friend years ago. And we just kind of, I don't know if it's called rekindle when it's your friend. I don't know. It sounds yeah. weird. Um, started hanging out. I'm like, oh, I forgot that she does this. I really love talking to her because she's always so positive. I really love talking to her. Like, I forgot what this was like to do this all the time. Was there any of that in there? Or you were yeah, just like, it was kind of like picking, picking up where we left off. Right. Okay. You know, because we had just always been good friends and we had always had something special there. Yeah. And then that second time where you're like, okay, I'm just going to marry him. Like, did you kind of know? It was pretty, pretty quickly. Okay. Yeah. After that first date. But he was in Miami and you were in Chicago. Right. So what happened from there? So he had gotten the job in Kansas City. Okay. And hadn't started full time with the season, the symphony calendar yet. Because this was February and he was going to start in the fall. Okay. And so he went back to Miami and I went back to Chicago and then we just started a long distance dating until I moved to Kansas City in 2008. What were you doing in Chicago at that time? Were you were you also was doing stuff in music at that point? No. So I had kind of transitioned my career. I had a, a period of time for about four years in between my nonprofit life where I worked in the hospitality industry. Oh, so happen? I was doing, um, I just, you know, I had experience doing special events and, um, I was good at it and I, I just kind of wanted something different at that time. Right. And so I was doing that. So how did you, so I don't know if you know very much about my thoughts on college and you have a lot of college here, so let's talk. Through yeah. This. You tell me. <laughs> my thoughts are on college is you went to college to be a flute performer for the rest of your life right and then what was the the change between that how how much difference of time between graduating undergrad and then going and get your master's where then you went to nonprofit? at what age did you realize you want to make that difference my thoughts on college are it's very hard to know at 18 what you want to do for the yes, rest of your life. It is. And I think for a long time we pushed people into it. I think we're getting better about it, but a long time we pushed people and said, you have to decide at 18 what do you want to do for the rest of your life. And then so many people have degrees that they never use, right? Mm-hmm. Um, or they have bills and they didn't even get their degree because they realized they hated it and they were just too far in to finish for something else, right? Sure. So at what point did you have, because I mean, your education lines up perfectly with like what you thought you wanted to do and then what you're doing. But when did you have that realization? 
what was probably while I was in grad school because okay. I started Columbia College Chicago as a liberal arts um, and media school. Okay. Um, when I was there as a grad student, the graduate school was very small. I think there was 500 students in the entire graduate school oh. with a with a student body of about 10,000 at the time. Okay. So it was a smaller institution, but it was very highly specialized. And I thought I wanted to be in music business, so go kind of like a record label route. And I oh. had this music background. Yeah. And so I thought that that what were you going to do at the record You know, record like label? it's what you should do and right. what you actually do or like a lot of different things. And so I had convinced myself that that is something I should do. But once I was kind of getting those initial classes out of the way, I realized that I wanted to go this nonprofit route. And so I But that's a complete found, 180, right? Well, a little bit. I mean, like my my degree is in performing arts, like nonprofit performing arts management. So yeah. I was focused on arts organizations, okay. but nonprofit missions that were arts related. Okay. So you were still doing the music thing. It was just, so I was still doing the music thing, but it, it was more kind of expansive with the full arts. But I realized at, about midway through, cause I went to grad school part time for four years. Okay. Um, so in, about halfway in, I realized like I need, I'm a nonprofit person. I need to focus on nonprofit missions and serving the community. Why did you decide to go to grad school in the first place? Because I decided that I, I really love music, but I didn't want to be an orchestra performer, right. you know, as a career. I liked teaching, but I wasn't sure that I liked it enough right. to really like make that my life's work. And like you said, I think, I mean, I started college when I was 17. Right. I mean, I had no idea right. what I really wanted to do at that age. And there's people like my husband who knew from the time he was very young that he wanted a job in a professional orchestra. Right. And that's what he worked towards. Which is awesome if you know, right? I just don't think everybody knows. I just had too many interests. There was right. a lot of things that I saw myself doing. If his family speaks all Spanish, where did he grow up? He grew my, up in Miami. Miami. Yeah. Okay. And so why what, is his family very musical? Is that how he knew so young? No, he doesn't really have anybody in his family that's musical. He just knew? He just, you know, he just kind of decided, that's what I want to do, and and I mean, pursued that. I, I wonder how many kids even realize, like, my kids are musical, but I don't know if they would, my son probably, but my little one, symphony-wise. Does your kid, is he, he's got to be musical, your son? He likes music. Yeah. He likes to, right now, he likes being an audience member more than okay. he's interested in playing an instrument or doing something like that. Okay. Does he, he's more into sports. So he's got the two musical parents and he's into yeah. sports. Yeah. He's very active and likes what to, sports is he playing? He does Taekwondo. Okay. He does track. He loves running. Okay. Just anything that's physical. He's done baseball and soccer and he'll try it all. Right. Anything that involves physical activity. Which we encourage. Does he do anything in the arts right now? No. He's not interested? No. We had him in a in a theater program over the summer, which he really enjoyed. Yeah. But he he didn't want to do it again this fall. He wanted to try some different things. And So yeah. how do you, because um, it's almost opposite, right? Like usually, so in my case, are, I would say that um, the parents, not really necessarily me, but all the other parents in our family are very sports focused. So then when my kids decided to go very 
artistic it was like okay we've got to wrap our mind around what this looks like and you guys are kind of doing the opposite right where a lot of parents know the sports route but you guys know the arts route and he wants to go sports right well I think that like I said I mean I think that the arts and my interest in that chose me right and I was encouraged to really self-direct myself in interests outside of academics yeah and we want our son if whatever he chooses to do to for it to be his choosing he doesn't have to love music because we do right you know I want because I don't want I don't want to be forcing him to do something I, I want him to make a commitment to yeah. something that he's interested in and give it a chance but I don't want him to do things that he's not interested in just because we're interested in them have you ever seen that meme that said that says something like my kids can choose their own passions but they're going to go ahead and finish them up since I paid they're going to finish up the season since I paid the down payment yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that one's really funny I was like oh that's that's definitely us Okay, so you moved to Kansas City and you know you want to be in nonprofits and what does that kind of look like? Like getting into, what what year did you move to Kansas City? 2008. 2008. So you were in Kansas City for a while before you started at Junior Achievement. Yes. Okay. Were you in nonprofit world before Junior Achievement as well? I was. Okay. Um, I worked for Girl Scouts before coming to okay. Junior Achievement and I was finishing out that four-year stint when I first moved here in hospitality. In hospitality. Okay. But I really wanted to go back to nonprofit life. That's really where I belong. What do you love about nonprofit? I feel like nonprofit people know they're nonprofit people. Yes. And I guess kind of explain how you knew you were a nonprofit person and why were you, you were so passionate there. Well, I think this is true for a lot of people, regardless of what you do. But I need to come to work every day knowing that what I'm doing is moving the needle in my community mm -hmm. that what I do is making a difference for somebody else even if it's just one person and that's what drives me so coming to junior achievement that's what continues to drive me is that I know that I'm helping kids right. be successful and access opportunities that they might not have otherwise without our program so I've just known for a long time that I wanted to dig into my community a little bit more deeply and growing up in a really huge metro area I felt like it's easy to get kind of lost and swallowed up in a really big city right and things like you know kind of like the, like what you're doing like there's room for you here in Kansas City to like experiment and right. you have the support of the community to try different things and some of them are going to work and some of them aren't, aren't right. going to work, but that's okay. And I always felt like in Chicago, the, the little guy doesn't have as much wiggle room. Right. You know, you kind of have to be really big or, you know, there's not, you don't have a lot of support there. Right. And so for me, like coming to Kansas City and being a part of the nonprofit community, I feel like I can, I can make a difference and I can make my community better and I could be a part of it. What were your first thoughts when you first said Kansas City before you ever came here? Um, I think I told my husband, mm, Kansas City, really? <laughs> I mean, I thought of it as, I felt like my impression of Kansas City was very much like what other people who have never been to Kansas City mm -hmm. think. That it's small and um, out in the hay. middle of nowhere and that there aren't a lot of opportunities. Right. That's what I assumed. And being a part of, I've lived here for almost 12 years and being a part of the last decade plus of growth right. in this community, I've seen what's taken place here yeah. in just the short amount of time that I've been here. It's been crazy in the past decade for sure. Um, 
circle back to Chicago. How often do you go back to Chicago? Not very often. Um, my parents live here now, so. Oh, they're here. Yeah, um, like once a year. Because this is their only grandkid. Right. Right. So that's yeah. easy. If you have one kid, then you could go wherever. Yeah. That kid ends up and be around your grandkids. Yeah. I mean, I love Chicago. Yeah. It's a great city. It was, it was a great place to grow up because there's a lot of, there's a lot to do. The restaurants are amazing. Um, it's why, just a harder lifestyle. Why do you think they're experiencing so much violence right now? I mean, we are experiencing a lot in Kansas City too, but Chicago seems to be a, almost a national conversation, right? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I think that's something that big cities always struggle with is controlling crime. But you don't hear about it as much in some of the other big cities. And I don't know if it's just because it's been going on at those cities for so long that it's not become national news and Chicago's real. I mean, it's really been bad for these past few, like five, seven years, right? Mm -hmm. It's gotten really bad. Um, I just didn't know if being from there, if you had any thoughts on that. Well, I think that when, like, I feel like all we hear on the news now is is bad news. Right. And so what's happening in Chicago, if you don't live there, all you're hearing about is the bad right. things. And the media attaches itself to that. Right. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, I totally agree with that. But I do think that the numbers have gone way, way up, right? So there's probably a little bit more going on there, too. Like, there's some things going on. Um but I think it's going on here in Kansas City, too. It's just mm -hmm. not, we don't have as many people, so the numbers aren't as high. I mean, but this has been a bad year in Kansas City. Yeah. So this is a bad year in Kansas City, and then you are working with, um, you are working with essentially a lot of the kids that are in those neighborhoods, right? Well, yeah, we prioritize serving young people mm -hmm. that are considered to be at risk. So how does... Does that play into when we're having years like this year, we're at an all time high for homicide. How does that play into what you guys are trying to achieve at Junior Achievement and trying to get, um, trying to make sure that you're both there for the, for the youth, but then also like seeing like this isn't the way it has to be. Sure. Well, I think that for us, um, we want to help the most vulnerable young people in yeah. our community. And when you have, when you have knowledge and when you have access to resources like education, like adult role models, like tools for success, and most importantly, hope. Right. You know, when you can attach yourself to those things and you can believe in yourself and you have the tools to do it, then you can really envision what your future could be that could be different from that. So we're focusing on reaching the students with a toolkit for success that they can access for their lifetime. Right. How do you think that affects how you parent? Hmm. That's an interesting question. So I'll tell you a little bit about my history while you think of your answer, because yeah. obviously I give no questions for people to prep. Um, and even though I already, full disclosure audience, I asked for them. And I said no. Um, <laughs> everybody asked for them. But that email just went unresponded to. <laughs> Sorry. That was a no. That was my nice way of saying no. Um, so I know for a fact, because I struggled so much as a single mom, and now that we're doing decent, um, one of the big things that I do with my kids is we do volunteer days. And we go volunteer in places that 
kind of suck to volunteer at, to be really honest, so that they can come back to reality sometimes. Because I know, personally, I've gone overboard with them because I couldn't give them anything when they were little. So now I know that I can give them stuff. I've gone overboard. So I like to kind of remind them sometimes, like, listen, things can be. And so we almost pick kind of, I don't want to say sucky volunteer opportunities, but they're not like the all the glitz and glamour opportunities. They're like, we're going to work hard. We're going to do this. We're going to, you know, not do the the stuff or necessarily take pictures on social media because they need us to do this or you know and so I know for me parenting probably looks a lot different than if I didn't know some of those things were going on if I hadn't touched those things right sure so how do you think because it's it's had to have affected your parenting because you you get to go home to a healthy fun seven-year-old every night and know that a lot of the students that you reach and touch don't have that same lifestyle to go home to sure well, we try to really focus on kindness mm-hmm. with our son and, and respect. And we he goes to an elementary school where there's a lot of economic and cultural, racial, ethnic diversity, which we embrace right. because we want him to be around people that are unlike him. There's going to be some people that are like him. Um, there's going to be some people that are going to be from, you know, there's a lot of different countries represented at the school that he goes to, which is awesome. You know, students speak, speaking different languages. Oh, awesome. And so he's yeah. getting exposed to a wide variety of people that are all part of the same community. And so we try to emphasize kindness and respect and being a good listener. I mean, that's so underrated yeah. of, of just sitting down and listening to somebody and, and waiting, you know, not being ready to talk, ready to act, ready to do, but actually taking the time to sit down with somebody and listening to what they have to say. Are you raising him to be bilingual? He knows a little bit of Spanish. Um, Not as you much know, as you? I didn't. <laughs> probably a little less. Okay. My husband will have to take over the management of the right. upping the Spanish skills for probably both my son and I. But like if, yeah, I mean, if he, if he could speak another language well, um, that would be great. Yeah, that's, well, in seven, I think they don't really start languages as far as school goes, right? Till they're a little bit older. Yeah. So that'll be nice that if he chooses Spanish, he'll have someone to practice yeah. with at home. And you won't know, you won't know anything they're saying, but we just have to trust that they I love can, you. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, I'll know a little. Be kind to me. <laughs> don't use a future tense verb because I won't know what it means. Right. Just, <laughs> just the present tense. <laughs> Um, what is your, I guess, like, since you've been a junior achievement, what has been the toughest thing you've seen? Like the thing that you were like, I wanted to make a change in my community, but God, I didn't know some, some things that, or has there been something where you're like, I know I volunteered, um, with an organization that it's one thing to say, you're going to go in and help. Um, but literally I had one of the, the girls pull me aside and and just her story, like her story was so like things you see on TV, things you, things you, I guess maybe we know that happens, but we don't really meet people that they happen to. Right. And it just like kicked me so hard in the face. Have there been instances like that for you? I think one of the things, the biggest learning experiences, um, that I've had at that, but that's also filled me with pride is um, a lack of confidence sometimes in the students Mm -hmm. that they, I mean, we are truly in there wanting them to believe in themselves and have the tools to do it. And I can see in the beginning 
of the program that they don't in that moment. And at the end though, what fills me with pride is seeing that transformation and how quickly that can happen when a caring adult goes into a classroom or a caring adult comes in to one of our kind of non-traditional programs like the women's forum that you've been a part of. And we can actually see it happening from the beginning to the end. We see young people that might have struggled with having a conversation or interacting with a group of adults that they didn't know to fighting over the microphone to talk about what they've learned oh, wow. at the end. And so that really shows me, you know, number one, the, the need mm-hmm. for the program, but the immediate difference that right. it's having for the kids in our community. How do they keep that up after they're not with your program anymore? That's a good question. Yeah. We don't, I mean, we don't track alumni because that's sometimes hard, right. you know, for us to do because our relationships are with schools and school district partners and right. not with families. Right. Um, but we do survey the students at the beginning and at the end of the program. And we hope that the, the toolkits that we're giving them will be something that they'll be able to access for years to come and we have talked to some people you could read about stories on our website and through our newsletter about people who have been impacted by the program like adults in our community who are working in Kansas City who have had junior achievement experiences talk about how it shaped their future and their decision making what's your biggest lesson you've learned while you've been there Look at you. You don't get to prepare anything. No, well, because I don't always ask these <laughs> questions. We don't really dive into your career usually on this as much. Um, but I find it, the nonprofit world is just such a different world to me, right? So mm-hmm. I, I volunteer a lot. I sit on some boards. But like the nonprofit world, just the the people that go into the nonprofit world, are they function by a whole different mindset than the for-profit world mm-hmm. a lot of times, right? Maybe not at the really, really big ones where they're bringing in the, like I'll take a CEO position for $50 million, some of those big nonprofits, <laughs> but like the smaller ones where you're actually in the grind every day, mm-hmm. right? Um, and you have to love what you're doing to be able to do it because you, we're not gonna discuss your salary, but I know from nonprofit worlds that they're not always the best paying jobs. They're not always the most glamorous jobs. They're not always like the glitz and glamour. So you have to love what you're doing. Mm-hmm. So I imagine that there's been like quite a few lessons. You wouldn't stay in it if you weren't continuing to learn lessons mm-hmm. and continuing to help people. But is there one that sticks out to you? I'm really trying to make you come out of your shell. Here. I know. <laughs> I think um, one of the thing, one of the lessons that I learn over and over again is that when you're when you're working in a nonprofit organization, it doesn't matter what the mission is about. Right. Um, there's always going to be those things, you know, like limited resources, right. um, limited human capital, um, not the all the benefits and perks, you know, that are available at at for profit yeah. companies, but it's the it's just the the knowledge that you're you're doing something that is very valuable to you personally and that's pulling at your heartstrings and at times it is hard i mean it is so hard to get up every day and convince people that your organization is worthy of charitable dollars is worthy of having be, being an active part of the community that it's worth it makes the community better for your organization to exist. Right. You know, every organization is trying for that. But 
powering through that, those really hard times when it feels impossible to be successful and having that one small win, you know, like seeing that, seeing that person that comes back and says, you know what, I had junior achievement when I was a kid and it's the reason I'm in the career that I am today. Yeah. You know, when you hear stories like that, um, or, you know, I was able to, um, I was able to fully fund my college education because I learned how to save money and I learned how to invest money and make a financial plan for myself because of junior achievement. Wow. Those are the moments that. How were you guys when I was in high school? (laughs) Well, you know, a lot of people say that. A lot of people say, wow, I wish this would have been available when I was a kid. Right. I wish I would have known that when I was 15. Right. Because they don't, nobody's teaching the basics, right? Like (laughs) my daughter, even last night, she's seven. She did something with math and she added up numbers all the way till they were in the millions, right? Like the same number added it to itself. And then um, I said something, I'm like, imagine if you had that much money. She's like, how much money is that? And I'm like, you're so cute. (laughs) Right? Like, but the basics. So that's, um, I have a, I'm going to switch gears here. Because uh, let me give you some background. So this morning I had someone in my office and she is one of two women that teach at the doctoral level. You know me in my college, so I'm going to try to get all these words right. Um, (laughs) As a conductor, right? So in the music industry, Uh much like you. And I, we had a very in-depth conversation. I want to have this conversation with you to get your feedback on it. One of two women in all of the United States. That's it. There's just two. We got into a conversation of how the music industry in itself is still very much a boys club. And she she was telling me things just that she's witnessed kind of with the Me Too movement. She doesn't feel like it's moved over to the music industry quite yet, like like it probably will. And how is it how it has on other other industries? Did any of that play into your decision of not to take that into a career? Did you have those same feelings while you were going through music school? Not really. No, that wasn't your no. Experience. I mean, just being a flute player. I mean, there's a there's a lot of women right. who are professional flute players, and who knows? Maybe that was why I gravitated towards that because yeah. there there are other instruments that tend to stereotypically have more men, especially when like I was coming up and taking lessons and I didn't really, I was a very girly girl growing up. I would have, if they would have had the little tool shirts with the leggings that like all the little girls wear now, like I would have worn that every day to school and the sparkle shoes and all of that. And so I didn't really want anything to do with what boys were doing. Right. So maybe that was why I gravitated towards that, but I never felt that, um, discrimination okay by being female it it, like taking music lessons or anything like that but I so I didn't know because I don't know a lot of people that went to college for music right so and not even in school in college you didn't feel like boys club you were just because you were with all the flute players they were girls most of them were right my my teacher in my undergraduate was male but like he I mean I had a good relationship with him and do you ever go to your husband's performances and miss it yeah, sometimes I do. Yeah? Yeah. So you said you were in the flute club, did you say? Tell me about it again. You were in oh, the, the flute. Kansas City Flute Choir. Okay. Is that something that's like a, is that a job or is that like a, 
It, it's a community group. A community group. Okay. Yeah. I don't know what it's called. And I don't know music, right? So it's like, like I, I wanted to say intramural, but I didn't think that was <laughs> that was the, the right thing. The intramural flute club. <laughs> intramural flute. So is it, you're not in it anymore, though. No. No. I did Why? it for a year. Well, I just got busy with other things. You okay. know, parenting, working. So how do you keep up this passion? Trying to balance it. Right. So you got to give up your passions. Yeah. <laughs> I get it. Yeah. Something's got to give sometimes. Right. right? <laughs> so um, what has been, I guess, your, well, you said parenting. Parenting's why. You just got busy with parenting. What has been, so you have one kiddo. Mm-hmm. And does your husband travel for work? Mm-hmm. Okay. And so usually, how often does he travel? A lot in the summer and then just kind of periodically through the fall and spring. So a lot of, uh, I don't like to call it single parenting, but a lot of one person parenting yeah. during those times. So that gets you really busy. So uh, with that, I guess what's been your biggest lesson while you've, I mean, because you've had a big transmission transition of going from seeing your life going one way to now your nonprofits and then, but married to someone who you thought that's the way your life was going to go. What's been your biggest, I think, aha moment? over this past decade while you've been in Kansas City? One of them was that I found that I really liked living in a smaller community. Yeah. Growing up in Chicago, I mean, I was born in Ohio and my my parents lived in Michigan for a little while and they came to the Chicago area when I was four. Okay. And so I consider that to be, you know, my first home. And um, I never thought that I would like living in a smaller, in a smaller town, Um, I didn't think that I would like fit in to a smaller town, especially as like coming in as somebody that didn't go to one of the three major colleges that a lot of people from Kansas City attend. Right. Sorry, you didn't go to KU. Just kidding. (laughs) I went and dropped out. So I didn't name any specific schools by name. (laughs) Yeah. Not going to any of those schools and being a newcomer over a decade ago, I just wasn't sure what to expect. And so... I found that I actually don't want to go back to Chicago to live. Wow. You know, it's a place that I kind of did the opposite. I feel like everybody f- that grows up in Kansas City thinks that they need to go live in Chicago for a little while. Right. And they ultimately always come back to Kansas City. Right. I feel like I Chicago did that. Chicago and Dallas. Those are the two. And they're Denver, eight hours away. Yeah. Denver's 12. But it's like 8, 8, 12. Yeah. Yeah. But those three cities, yes. And so I did the opposite. I came from Chicago to a smaller community. And now um, now I just can't picture myself going backward. I'll always I'll always go back to visit and it's a great place to visit. But I can't I just can't see myself living there. Yeah. Again. And so that surprised me. And then what is your number one tip for um, young women that want to get into nonprofit world? What would you say? What's the tip of not necessarily getting in, but what should they be aware of when getting into nonprofit world? Because it is a whole different world, right? And I even imagine, even though you have a degree in it, that still was much different than hospitality. Sure, in sure. the for-profit world. Your net, build your network. And build your network with people that will support you in what you're doing, encourage you to seek out training, advice, um, encouragement in whatever you're interested in and real and just put yourself out there and be open-minded awesome well thank you so much for coming on thank you for having me this was super fun and you did wonderful even though i wouldn't let you prop. 
<laughs> so that is it for this week's cocktail hour. Do you want to hear from your favorite local businesswoman? Do you know a woman in business who is shaking shit up? Send your recommendations to HeyGirl at CocktailHourPodcast.com. Make sure you subscribe and share our podcast with your friends. We share our stories to motivate and inspire you. So spread the love around. Until next time, I'm Erin Folk. Keep your class and your glass raised, and we'll see you at the next cocktail hour. Thanks, Meredith. Thank you, Erin. Bye.